Thank you so much, Colleen, for that. Yeah, it, it is truly amazing uh, the way the Holy Spirit works uh, when we put together these services. And, you know, sometimes you, uh, you pray everything comes together. You trust that it will if you do what the Lord wants you to do. And then you see what He does. And it is amazing uh, the way everything just ties together in the Lord. Uh, at this point, we'd like to uh, release our uh, children. That sounds so... Uh, uh, I don't know if it's comforting or not. Release the children. Let them go. Let my people go. <laughs> uh, there's some good and bad there, I guess. Um, we've got children's church in the back. They're uh, invited to 10 through 5th grade. And uh, if you were here last week, if you didn't notice from last week's Sermon on Worry, of course, Colleen touched on that a little bit ago, we're starting this series, The Struggle is Real, the purpose being to discuss a few topics that uh, may hit home with us in one way or another spiritually. Where have you deeply struggled in this life? Uh, my prayer is that this will approach some of these areas. And this morning, we, should I say I, uh, don't really get much of a reprieve from last week's spiritual conviction. I have to be honest. Last week we talked about, again, what to do if you happen to struggle with worrying. Today I'm going to bring up uh, the following conundrum. What if the struggle is hurrying? Now, culturally, it seems as though being in a hurry is just what we do. It's just expected of us, isn't it? Think about it. If we're, if we're not busy rushing from one place to another... Some people might say we're not busy enough, right? We don't have enough going on unless this is what we're doing right here. And this uh, expectation really rears its ugly head in this kind of environment. Uh, as a huger, I've noticed, especially in Michigan. When I first moved up here, I thought, man, you people drive way too fast. Now when I go to Indiana, I'm like, why is everybody driving so slow? Well, down there, it's because the roads are so much better, you know, that uh, uh, up here, you're just trying to get down them. But Well, most of us drive a vehicle that's capable of going nearly twice the speed of the legal limit, even in Michigan. Uh, the speed limit laws, I'm told, are, you know, established so we travel a safe or safer, rather, speed of miles per hour as we're chugging along. But have you noticed you know, you get out on the highway, and it doesn't even have to be highways like, uh, like these. Uh, you know, if we're not driving at least three to six miles per hour over that legal speed limit on most highways, we're just going to get passed, aren't we? I mean, it's just, it's just understood. Uh, everybody's in a hurry when they get on the highway all the time. It's a rule of the road unless you're in a hurry and you get behind somebody else. The late comedian George Carlin once asked, have you ever noticed that anyone driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone going faster than you is a maniac? And this is how it is. Uh, it seems to be perspective, but the way the world around us is flowing, as the computers get faster, as schedules get busier, as people in turn grow more impatient, the struggle for so many of us on the highway, uh, in the restaurant, on the job, off the job, it just seems to be hurrying. Everybody's in a hurry everywhere to go somewhere, do something. As songwriter Tom Petty once sang, I put the pedal down to make some time. There never seems to be enough time. And so this is what we do on those highways. Now we've got these roundabouts, so we can still go 147 miles an hour and just pray the guy on this side isn't thinking the same thing. 
Because nobody knows how to drive one of those things. They say they do, but then you get in one and you realize nobody else does. But we think we can somehow make time. So we get in a hurry. We get in a hurry for the work commute. We get in a hurry for the day trip commute. We get in a hurry Sunday morning just for a worship service because we've got three kids to try to get loaded up. Plus, get over the church building and you're trying to load up a vegan get to worship. And you know how this goes. That's going to require another 15 minutes for each child. It doesn't matter how, how close you might live to the church building per child times 15 minutes, right? But if we could put the proverbial pedal down in so many of life's circumstances to get on with the show, to get to our next destination, or get together a weekend or day trip or on the job or to the evening off the job, I think we would do that. Unfortunately, think how much of our lives we'd miss. Now, maybe you don't struggle with hurrying in this way. If not, good for you. I got to be honest this morning, when I think about the drive on Crystal Road, especially at certain times of the year, and I get behind one of those pieces of farm equipment the size of Rock Lake, you know, all I can think about at that time is the amount of time I'm wasting, slowing down from 65 to 15. Because in my mind, I'm thinking that six minutes I could have saved, I could have been flipping TV channels or something. I would have done something great with that time I would have saved. This guy in front of me is using up my precious time. He's using up my precious reserves. And yet it's interesting. When I look at God's word, when I look at what God says about time, the way we use the time given to us, it would seem that the Lord is far more concerned with the quality of our time. That is, am I spending the time I've been given with him? Then he is the quantity of our time in this life. It would seem to me. Our text for today comes from Psalm 46. Uh, we're going to uh, zoom in on verse 10. Would you turn there with me, please? God's word says this. Be still and know that I am God. We heard this earlier during the scripture reading. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So what this means, and I'm just going to pick on myself because I'm a pretty easy target. Uh, I know my schedule. I know my responsibilities and all those things. I, I don't know everybody else's. But if, if I'm a hired minister, what this means for me is, you know, Monday morning gets here and I can push as hard as possible to get certain tasks, certain responsibilities done that I have to get done. I'll just name a few because I know what they are. You know, maybe I have to get a sermon done. Maybe I have to get weekly service uh, thought of and uh, coordinated and get emails and calls and texts replied to, get some phone calls made. Maybe I have to get some visits in. Maybe I have some small group I have to prep, and I have to do all these things. So I want to go into overdrive to have about a, you know, 100-hour-long day without any sleep. So that I can, quote unquote, have what? Free time? To do what exactly? Now see, this is a trick question when I look at my responsibilities and these things that I need to get through. Because if I say to glorify God, I want to glorify God with my free time, I better be doing that all already by way of the ministry he's given me. If I answer the other way and say, well, to do what I want, I better stop and remember there's no time clock at the church building. They didn't install when I've looked for it. The job of making sure others know that he is God never ends. This is the task of those of us in Christ. This is 
our task. And family activity, all the family activity that we do should embrace this attitude as well. Now, I know what I just went through is going to apply differently to those of you who aren't in full-time ministry, but my point is, aren't we culturally conditioned, no matter what we do vocationally, aren't we culturally conditioned to hurry, to work harder, to be faster, to do more, each day, each week, each month. This is the key ingredient. It's going to separate the successful from the unsuccessful. Work hard. Do more. And yet, when I look at God's word, the text seems to define success not at all by what I do in the first place, but who I know, where I take my rest. God's word says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, from the beginning of this powerful psalm, back at uh, verse 1, we're told this. Uh, we're told, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. While we spend our time, we're, we're running here, there, and everywhere, God simply is. God simply is. And I think we, we, we forget this fact. God is always with us. God is always near. He's always everywhere. And this is even when we have our own lives consumed with every kind of distraction imaginable. Every kind. And too often, these distractions are what's pushing us along. Think about it. I want you to stop and think every day about all the commitments that you keep. You're keeping right now for some kind of big payoff later. You're investing in for something down the road. We work hard now so we can play later. We scramble to pull our resources now so we can live off the fat of the land later. This is just what we do. This is culturally appropriate. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, trying, I'm not telling you to go home and throw away the Dave Ramsey book. I'm not saying don't have a budget, don't plan for your future, uh, don't be a steward of what God gives you. But in light of this text from the psalmist, I am going to suggest something that might rattle us a little. I'm going to suggest that the God of the Bible intends for more for your life than this. For more for the quality of your life. For more for you personally than to knock yourself senseless for the first 60, 70 years of your life stockpiling the stuff of earth. I don't care what it is. Real estate, fishing gear, you name it. In the hopes that you can control your own little corner of the earth later if you make it that long. God intends for more for you, it would seem. And if you don't believe me on this, take a look at the parable of the rich man. The rich man uh, who hurry, hurry, hurries to stockpile his personal reserves. This isn't enough. I need a bigger barn. Build bigger barns. This fully consumes him. This scourging for the stuff of earth as fast as I can so I can take life easy later, eat, drink, and be merry. What happens? God takes his life away. God takes the life from this guy before he can even make it that far. So if the struggle for you this morning and many a morning is push, 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 hurry, 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 go, 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 Perhaps it's appropriate to ask yourself why and for whom. Because here's the thing. If we're seeking long-term comfort in the distractions of this world, we're not really trusting in the God who calls himself our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's not really where our hope lies. 
Instead, we're saying, like that old movie, Jaws, you know, except instead of a boat, we're going to need a bigger barn. Ignoring the fact that you have no idea how long you're even going to have left on this earth to indulge of it. So often we find that we hurry, hurry, hurry. Why? Because we worry, worry, worry. We worry about our time, our money, and ourselves. There's an alternative. There's an alternative. Seek to glorify God with our lives. Seek to glorify God with our lives. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Instead, our God has already declared this in Scripture. He will be glorified on earth, not us. Our God has made it clear that His glory, His kingdom, is always going to be the reason why we are here. The reason for our activity. Not the career paths, not the hobbies, not the habits, not the customs, not the plans of this world. So if you're a person that likes to hurry, I'd like to say uh, to you this morning, two words I've always said uh, to my dear wife, and I'm going to pick on her because she's not here and she can't defend herself. Uh, something I've always said to my dear wife every time she gets upset about something at home, chill out, which, as you guys always know, works immediately. <laughs> Without fail. Eventually, we, 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 we get smarter. <laughs> Fortunately, she's not here, so now I don't have to be in a hurry when I get home to get my pillow to the living room couch to sleep for the night. But these two words, these two words in verse 10, they're not chill out, but they might as well be. These two words, be still from our text, actually come from a command in the original text, in the original Hebrew. The root word rafa, meaning to let go of is what the psalmist used here in the text. The implication here is that we will actually allow ourselves to be weakened under God. That's what the command here is with be still. On our own, in our own strength, by our own whatever, we try to hurry, 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 don't we? Thinking we can survive in this place by our strength, by our pace, by our own reserves, by our own ways. When I had my uh, uh, eye stroke close to two years ago, I was pushing myself every day largely by my own strength. And while I, you know, I, I don't believe God went zap and blinded me, he certainly knew some of the bigger barns I was trying to hang on to, if you will. And he, he looked at me, saw this uh, uh, young full-time minister. I'm not sure why I put the word young in here. I think I'm fooling myself. Self-professed unlimited energy. I could spend my nights writing sermons and days visiting people and taking classes. Uh, you know, I could throw off family time and devotional time, and I could defy sleep patterns constantly. And God allowed me to realize in that experience that his name alone is the strong tower by which any ministerial activity I'm a part of is going to happen. He, not me, he, not by the strength of my two eyes, not by anything done by these hands. And, and God's still working on me. I'm still a long way from where I need to go. Uh, he's still working on me. Right now, he's doing it with all this gray that keeps creeping in on top of me. I keep cutting his hair off, and it keeps coming back gray in places, the wrong color. I guess that's just the way it's going to be. Someone has said, you're not in control of, of, of everything God is, and your hair was put on the top of your head to remind you of that. So we've got to let go. We've got to let go of these ideas in the church that we're, that we're in control. We're not. We've got to set a pace for our Christian walk that shows humility, that shows stillness, that shows a sense of surrender, 
we have to first be still before God. Or how can we really say we're his people? Amen? Be still before God. As Christians, we're actually given the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. That's an incredible, incredible gift. God with us as we're going. But then what do we do in the day-to-day? What what do we find we do with all this hurrying and rushing around? We drown out his voice with a whole lot of noise, don't we? We drown out his voice. Just think of all these uh, handheld phones and wall-mounted TVs that uh, today aren't even enough to keep us on the run from hearing our Lord. Now you can even buy this smartwatch and you can strap it to your body and turn up the volume of the world surrounding you that way. We could certainly use these things differently. You know, we could turn on uh, some radio, Christian radio, stream God's word aloud. Uh, Through our uh, ministries here at Ferris, we we actually have two ways you can hear sermons from the pulpit if you miss them. We've got them on Facebook, through our website. All this uh, fast technology, which just seems to grow faster, can certainly be used for God's glory, right? And I'm going to pick on myself again right now. I'm a music geek, too. I didn't, I didn't grow up really watching ball games, uh, except for maybe the Cubs every now and again. I grew up with uh, one of those cassette players. And I know how tempting it can be to want to fill my time with noise. Fill my time with noise. And you know I'm starting to get old because I'm even referring to my own music as noise. But all these devices, that nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but haven't they made a loud world? us. Isn't this a world that's gotten loud? C.S. Lewis once speculated that as part of the mission of the demons to, quote, make the whole universe a noise in the end. Noise, noise everywhere. And I think there's some truth there. People complain from time to time. I don't know what God would have me do in a situation. And I don't feel like I've heard from my creator in years. What does he want me to do? In actuality, I haven't been listening. I haven't been hearing his voice. Instead of uh, keeping up with the voice of the Spirit, it's been the noise of the Kardashians going on 16 seasons now. By the way, does anybody here miss Bruce? You know, when he was Bruce Jenner? Show of hands if you miss Bruce Jenner. (laughs) Maybe it's not all the worldly noise that's kept you from hearing the Lord. You know, a, a nightly schedule full of Christian activity, Christian fellowship, this, this can actually be a hindrance to hearing God's voice too. It can be a setback to one's faith instead of a means by which it grows. One survey study has revealed that four in 10 Christians, four in 10 Christians, that's 40% of all believers, say they often or always rush from task to task. And this can be good things. Uh, things meant to build you up to edify. Group Bible study, for example. 40% feel they rush from task to task. Now, six in 10, 60% of believers, they would actually tell you that the, quote, busyness of life interferes with their relationship with God. Uh, those of us that get up and go to church worship every Sunday morning even, So so it's not even necessarily uh, activities themselves that can be a problem in our lives. We just get too busy. We just get too busy. It's the uh, Mary and Martha scenario. You know, in a world of Marthas, be a Mary. 
One professor at the Charleston Southern University School of Business where this survey I mentioned was conducted said, it's very tragic, it's ironic, the very people who should best help us escape the bondage of busyness, Christians, we ourselves are in chains. Be still and know that I am God, says the word of God. Too often we get caught up in this rut. We listen to the world around us. We, we overload that calendar app in front of us. We don't hear God's gentle reminder that just because you have an alarm on your phone going off, displaying a different Bible verse every hour, doesn't mean you're being properly fed spiritually. My daddy once said, the point is not to just get through the Bible. The point is to get the Bible through you. The point is to get the Bible through you. This is God's word. Are we listening to it? Do we actually listen to these words? Jesus says, Matthew 7, 24, if you hear these words of mine, what? Put them into practice. Put them into practice. Because the devil would love you to waste your time being busy. Even in Christian culture, waste your time with Christian activities and seminars and concerts and events, just as long as you're not listening to the Christ. There's a little bit up here, and I'm going to talk about it for a minute, so uh, don't worry if you're taking some notes and you're scrambling to get it all down. I'm going to spend some time with this uh, for the next few minutes. I think there's some that may look at Jesus Christ. He had kind of a short, itinerant ministry, and so sometimes, you know, they tend to picture someone that's standing on the mountaintop screaming, Carpe diem! Did you ever see Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society? You weren't familiar with that film. Carpe diem was uh, Robin Williams' catchphrase in the movie. In the movie, as a boarding school teacher, he'd uh, loosely translate from uh, Latin, very loosely, to his English class by saying, Seize the day, boys! Not being big fans culturally, uh, not being big fans of Latin, we've come up with a, another modern equivalent of this, uh, YOLO. You only live once, right? This humanist ph uh, philosophy, this... You only live once. This carpe diem, this idea of hurry, hurry, hurry on your own terms is not what Christians see in Jesus. Is not what we find in our Lord and God incarnate. And consider some of these things. Consider that Jesus spent his childhood growing up, simply growing in godly wisdom. He was a student of, as he said, Moses and the prophets. He was still before the Father. He took his time. He learned his family trade. The Bible says Jesus chose to embrace the very state of being which so many of us dislike. Jesus often chose to be alone in solitude. Jesus chose to be vulnerable before his Father in heaven. Jesus chose to constantly and repeatedly draw his strength alone with the Father. And even as Christ's ministry was beginning at age 30, there's all this time we don't know about. Just as things were beginning at age 30, Jesus didn't keep himself surrounded by the noise of the masses without Matthew chapter 4, first being led by the Spirit into solitude and silence. This is where it began for him. And we know, of course, in this account, when things were beginning, Jesus was also preparing for all the temptation, for all the lies, for all the noise that the devil would uh, be throwing at him. 
Just think, you know, if you and I could just take seriously the fact that God made us for this purpose, communion with him, wouldn't we perhaps want to prioritize that time a little more? Time with God. Time with God. God's word doesn't say you only live once. It says you were made to live forever. Jesus Christ didn't rush the kingdom of God. Instead, from creation, what did he do? He allowed the timeline of several thousand years before coming to us in Bethlehem. This alone should speak of the merit of being deliberate. Christ didn't get in a big hurry to announce his first few kingdom disciples. Instead, he spent days and all night in continued prayer before calling the twelve in Luke 6.12. This is God. When Jesus hears about the death of John the Baptist in Matthew 14, 13, what did he do? He went away, went away to stillness, he withdrew. Matthew 14, 23, Luke 5, 15 tell us of the desolate places that Christ would seek to pray for the purpose of prayer, to get alone. If Jesus thought it was necessary to get away for this purpose, what does it say about my needs? What does it say about me? Jesus says to the disciples in Mark 6.31, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. And think about today. What, you know, what are we going on? Several thousand years? Jesus has taken his time to return to us, Revelation 22. Not because he needs it, but because we do. We're lost without him. Which is why in that Garden of Gethsemane, I talked about this account last week. When Jesus was moments away from the crucifixion, the most important and transformative moment for all humanity, for everybody, he chose to be still. He chose to place himself in the hands of the Father so that God could be exalted among all the nations. Amen. It's not always going to be easy to listen uh, for the voice. Disasters and hardships, these can easily keep us on the run. You know, we've, we've recently seen uh, Hurricane Dorian uh, hit, hit the Bahamas, southeastern U.S., Atlantic Canada. Dorian has been called, quote, the strongest hurricane in the basin by wind speed since Hurricane Wilma in 2005. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine seeing this thing come your way? Can you imagine trying to depend on God's protection instead of just climbing the walls. One missionary gives an account of how uh, his faith uh, kept his feet on the ground during a similarly horrifying experience. He writes, I arrived in Taiwan just days before a Category 4 typhoon made landfall. My young family and I had just retreated to our apartment. We were listening to the wind screaming. We were watching the water forcing its way through the windows and any little crack by the force of the wind. We were slightly nervous. But this family remembered that if the Son of God could be still, could exalt the Father at Calvary with his very life, they surely could be still and remember who ultimately was in control of their lives that moment. This same missionary later in his account recalls how his family upon returning home to the U.S. would then survive the touchdown of a tornado upon their very neighborhood. 
In his own words, quote, the tornado seemed to suck all the air out of the room. I've never lived through an experience like that. Maybe some of you have, and uh, you've got stories like this. He said, the tornado seemed to suck all the air out of the room. It did quite a bit of damage uh, to the missionary's house. But this family of believers sat tight. They hunkered down. They prayed quietly under the protection of a stairway. Being still and knowing that God was God was twice the very key to these servants' survival. Can we understand that this teaching not to hurry, it's not just for someday far off. It's not just when Jesus comes back. It's not just after we die and wake up with Jesus because our work is done. Be still. Know he is God now. Rely on God now. God is with you now, wherever on earth he has you. If you haven't noticed yet, friends, I hate to spell, spill the bad news on this one, but this planet is kind of a dangerous place. Songwriter Warren Zavon once wrote, Life will kill you. But here's the goodest news you'll ever hear. Just as in the case of Jesus Christ, if you're following suit, God will resurrect you too. It's a promise. And the struggles of this life may be real, but so is the one whom you will glorify as one of his. And this promise stands no matter who you are, how extreme your circumstances no matter your difficulties, consider that when Psalm 46 was written, and this is a really cool part, as one commentator notes, this was a time of, quote, extreme adversity in which God had provided deliverance. We don't know for sure, but it's likely the psalmist is referring to the time King Hezekiah of Judah was on the throne. At this point, Assyria surrounded Jerusalem, and it looked as though the city might fall. And this is in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Consider also that 200,000 of the king's people, God's people, were taken captive. How did Hezekiah respond to the circumstances? In prayer. Despite this divided nation, God would still be exalted. Despite what appeared to be a hopeless situation, God could still intervene, which is what he did. The Syrian king's army was defeated and he went home humiliated. And my friends, this is what our God is capable of doing in your life. Still today, when the proverbial storm clouds gather above us, we can try to get out from under them. We can uh, try to uh, do our best. We can also remember the one who commanded the storm to be still in Mark 4.39. Be still, he said. Running hard to change one's circumstances may only leave us cold and weathered in this world, but the Son has said he has overcome the world altogether in John 16, 33. And so as we're wrapping up our time in the text together this morning, I'd like to try something a little bit different as we go into our invitation time. I'd like to begin a time of prayer today. But instead of just me uh, doing talking up here, I'm going to allow a few moments of silence. And this is for all of us here this morning. I'm going to allow a time this very morning, just a few, just a few minutes, time in which you're going to be given the opportunity 
right from where you are, to be still, to know that God is God. Pray that He would be exalted in your world, no matter what is going on with where God has you. I don't personally know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what kind of storms are afoot in your life, what kind of battles are being waged around you. And even if I did, I I don't have all the answers for all those problems you might be facing in this awfully loud world, but I know who does. I know who does. And I know the one who speaks quietly, softly, and surely to our hearts when we humbly bow before him. When we humbly bow before him. So let's have a few moments. Let's have some quiet time this morning. As we do, I invite you, please, Bring those busy schedules. You know what they are. Bring your worldly cares, your concerns, your difficulties, your distractions. We all brought them in here this morning. Everything that just keeps you on the run, hopping from here to there. And for a few moments before our great God, just be still. Be still in this place. Friends, God is in this place. He's in this place. And he's with you too if you're in him. So Let's consider those together, those spiritual, physical, mental, emotional storms of your own life. Bow with me. You know, like that missionary to Taiwan, like King Hezekiah, like Jesus Christ. Let's be still together this morning at Ferris. The struggle is hurrying. The solution is to stop and pray. Let's do so now together. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you as your people. So often, Lord, we get caught up in 
what the culture around us is saying about what's important. So often, Lord, we get caught up in things that have maybe snuck into the church or just become a part of who we are. And Lord, we know that we can certainly use things around us to glorify you. But Lord, how quick our hearts are for idolatry. Lord, I just pray that you would forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us individually. Those places in our lives where Lord, we, we, we have failed to be still, to give to you, to let you truly be God over this too. Lord, I pray that you would, you would be with everyone today, wherever we hurt, wherever we struggle, wherever we don't know where the answer lies in a particular situation. Lord, I pray that we would have the strength to give this to, to you. Lord, every one of us either, either needs you to come within us or we need more of you in our lives. God, help us. I thank you, Lord, for the church. I thank you for this support system we have of each other and the accountability we can find in your people. Lord, help us to, in all that we do, be still before you together. It is in the name of Jesus. I pray these things in you. So this morning we have an invitation for each and every one of you. If you haven't yet begun, be, uh, begun that walk with Jesus Christ, you haven't yet gone down into those waters of baptism and coming up, come up a new creation in him. We're going to invite you to do so. We're going to stand and sing this song, Oh God, Forgive Us. As we do, we invite you to, to come forward. Would you stand and say, Oh God, Forgive Us.